0: This is Everyday Everest, a podcast inspired by everyday people conquering an Everest all their own. I'm Reese D'Angelo. On today's episode, I speak with Gabriela Alvarez, a media studies major at Quinnipiac University. And this is our first internationally recorded episode, which is pretty cool. Welcome, Gabriela. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Reese. Thank you for being on. You're coming to us today from Portugal, right? Yes, I
1: am in Portugal presently.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. You've had some really fascinating life experiences. And you've always told me you have a story to share with the world. So perhaps this is an opportunity for you to do just that.
1: Yes, I guess my story all began the day that I was born, where I was born in South Africa to Portuguese immigrants. My mother was born in South Africa as well. My father was actually born in Portugal, and just at the age of four years old, him and his parents immigrated to South Africa as well. My parents both met in South Africa. My early childhood was there, and then we decided to move back to Portugal to start our life here. We didn't want to continue staying in South Africa due to the crime that was going on, and we just didn't feel as safe. And so my family moved here, and we owned a coffee shop, thinking that would be a success. My dad had been a mechanic for 30 years. I don't think in his whole gene, he was ready to just up and go and leave that behind, something that he's very proud of and very passionately good at, just own a coffee shop. So that didn't work for him and neither did it work for my mom. It was not their dream. And that's when I ended up moving to Tanzania. My dad became the national service manager for Toyota Tanzania. And I grew up the last 10 years of my life in Tanzania at the International School of Tanganyika. I was nine years old when I moved there. And that's kind of where my story really began as a global international person that's really where i became to become my individual self in fifth grade after a year of being in tanzania where my teacher noticed that i wasn't being able to spell certain words and the word that actually captured my mom's eye and didn't seem to worry my teacher at all was the word glasses I was in fourth grade and I cannot spell the word glasses. I remember that day so clearly because my mom was saying, what kid does not know how to spell the word glasses by the age of fourth grade? She used to know how to spell it just fine before she had to mix her languages from English to Portuguese and Portuguese to English. And my teacher at the time said, don't worry, she'll pick it up, she'll be fine. A year later, I was still reading at a slower level I was still not being able to spell. I was struggling at school. I used to spend hours and hours after school at home just trying to just do like simple homework that should only take me an hour. I was doubling, maybe even tripling the time. And that's when the school reached out to my parents and said, I think we need to get Gabriella diagnosed. And at the time, that was not something that was commonly known as in in africa let alone even in europe for anything it was probably more common in the united states and the united kingdom than anywhere else and there was only one person who could actually diagnose me at the time and she works between tanzania and kenya so the only one person with the one resource but for your child any parents would do anything for their child if they can. And that was my parents. This is all so new to us. My mom just wanted to get me the help that I deserved and needed. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia at the age of 10. And that's when I, when I was told what dyslexia was, labeled myself.
0: That teacher thought it might've been more related to language and switching back and forth between languages. But really, you know, in your, your 10-year-old mind, your brain was working just a little bit differently from a neurotypical brain. Yep. How much did you understand of this diagnosis when you were 10 years old? As
1: a 10-year-old kid, I don't think you, you know what it really means. Someone could explain it to you. To me, I was labeled as a dyslexic. I pictured it on my forehead like anyone could see it the minute I spelled something wrong. I felt stupid, like I was incompetent. I could not pursue anything. I couldn't just get through school and be like every other child. I remember struggling so hard with my self-confidence and just being me. And it was not easy for a child to know this about themselves and think, gee, am I even just going to finish middle school, let alone high school? It was not easy. And I and I used to hide it a lot. I, I hid it from my friends. My closest friends at the time, I hid it from them. I hid it from my classmates because I was, I was ashamed of being bullied and being, and being made fun of and feeling stupid because I couldn't spell the word glasses or read out loud to the class.
0: And not only were you processing this new diagnosis, but you had also recently made an international move. I mean, that, that in and of itself would be an Everest for lots of people. And here you are moving very far distance into a new culture, a very different culture from what you had originally grown up in. And then you also are finding yourself having difficulty in school. You have this new diagnosis. I mean, that's a lot for anyone, not to mention a little kid to process and, and, and go through.
1: Yeah, somehow I think I coped I with the move too well or too fast. I think it took me time to adjust from coming from a European country, living here for a year with all this development and infrastructure to going to a country where the roads aren't even paved. I, I struggled with a cultural shock. And I think anyone really c- goes through a cultural shock when you move. I had cultural shock coming to the United States. I was just shocked with more than 30 cereals on, on, on one aisle. And I was like, more than 30? And I've only seen five. <laughs> this is crazy. So I, I, I think we all go through that shock. But I think I adjusted faster than, than my parents themselves. I think I, as a kid, you adjust faster to things like that. So that wasn't a big concern. I think what took a
0: real toll was me being diagnosed. Once that diagnosis happened, how did it change then your everyday?
1: So my school
0: did have a learning center where they would provide
1: as much as they could with accommodations, which with my diagnosis, I was given accommodations of a reader and a scribe. And for many people who don't know what that is, that is someone who basically reads what is written on the paper. It is not someone doing the work for you. I can trust you on
0: that in so many ways. (laughs) Is that a common misconception?
1: Yes, I think it is. And that was something that I was always told when I finally came to know about Well, when I finally started telling people, oh, I'm dyslexic and I get some help because that's how I get through school, people all thought, oh, well, you're just cheating because that person's probably doing your exam or your paper. I'm like, no, trust me. For anything, they're probably like, that's the wrong answer, but they can't tell me. So it's not bad for anything. It's extra help. It's extra support, which the way my brain works needs that support and a lot of times people I think don't understand what really the accommodations really mean and how beneficial they are because without them there was so much proof that I would do an exam without accommodations and fail it straight up zero with accommodations and this was with a scribing reader and because my school is so particular that they didn't want subscribing reader to help or support the student. We had an extra person in the room watching. So we basically had three people plus the student, four people in one room just to do one exam. So <laughs> I aced my exams with having my extra support. I did struggle uh, a lot and there was no resources. When it comes to resources, like you mentioned, there was no resources in a least developed country, let alone in the whole of Africa, if you think of it. If you go to South Africa, they could have been a little bit of some resources because it is way more developed, has high innovative universities, possibly some resources, but it was still not as common. My mom had to get a bunch of resources and do a bunch of research. And so my mom was my biggest advocate. I say to this day, and as a young person who is diagnosed, you don't know how to advocate for yourself. You have to be shown and taught how to advocate for yourself because if you don't have this advocacy for yourself or have someone be there to support your needs, you're not going to get what you deserve to succeed in life, and that that can be really hard. And me saying I need a scarred and breeder is me advocating
0: for my educational rights. You went from this place where you felt labeled in a negative way as somebody who was stupid, as you've said, dumb, to now not only being an advocate for yourself, but also learning how to be an advocate for others who have dyslexia. How did you go from that to where you are now? I've always
1: been one to help and give back. And I knew that as a young person in high school, I always gave back to community and services. And that was always something I I realized. And I was always such a good public speaker. And I think that is when you get diagnosed with something that has a weakness, you'll find the just strength. A lot of the times someone who's diagnosed with dyslexia is very artistically talented. And we know that because Pablo Picasso was dyslexic and look at his magnificent work. Albert Einstein, amazing mathematician, scientist. He could not read or write, but he could do fantastic math. And and that's something, you find something that's going to make you that success and you can use it in that sense. He was able to advocate and speak through math. I'm able to do that through talking. And I realized that it took me a very long time that speaking and advocating is my biggest strength. And that's why I want to become an advocate for students, for people who are diagnosed and don't know how to go forward and about being or thinking they're labeled and that they cannot be successful because I have gone through so many struggles of teachers telling me that I would not graduate high school. But I do know that As an educator, you should never tell your students that you're not going to graduate high school, no matter what. I proved her wrong by graduating, not just with a high school diploma, but with
0: an international baccalaureate diploma as well. And you're on your way to getting a college degree.
1: Yes, I'm also on my way to getting a college degree, which many people didn't think I could do that either. My bachelor's degree goes to my father. Who was never lucky enough to finish high school because he was dyslexic himself. And there was no support. So that's where my bachelor goes to, to my biggest supporter and my biggest role model. And I am going to continue advocating for every student, for every person who needs help, guidance, a friend. I want to hear your struggles, your successes. Your successes and your struggles are what make you you. I want to be here to hear that.
0: So how did this Everest of yours prepare you for future challenges that you might face?
1: I think it's made me a stronger person. I finally found my confidence, which was very much lacking when I was first diagnosed. I finally found who I am, and I strongly believe I found the purpose of what I'm meant to do for my professional career, for my personal development and growth. And I know that I want to reach thousands to millions of people with my story, but not just tell my story. I want to be there to teach people on how to advocate because I know that that's a hard thing to learn. And it's not like we can go to school and learn how to be advocates. So I think since we don't have bachelor's or master's degrees and learning how to advocate for educational rights is something that we need more in this world. And so that is how I've honestly prepared myself for my challenges. I know I'm going to come across a lot of hard times and a lot of difficult times because there is no perfect degree for what I want to do. And that's why I went into communications. And I hope that after getting not my bachelor's but also my master's in public relations and then after that getting my PhD in special education (laughs) I'm combining the best of both worlds which is my speaking advocating and learning a lot more of not just dyslexia because I know that personally but I want to learn about all the different types of learning differences I want to know what you go through. And especially, I want to know how the brain works when it comes to functioning with that, so that I know how to teach them how to advocate for themselves. So I'm really bringing my personal and educational professional goal together. And getting my, my master's and my PhD will come with its challenges, but I know that I will get it if I set my mind to it.
0: And when we first met, it was three years ago, you came into my office. You were with your mom. You were coming directly from Tanzania. How did you end up as a student at QU? I was actually gonna leave the United States without knowing
1: where I was gonna to go to school. I came with a list of universities and I visited quite a few on my list, but I actually ended up not liking any of them. And so I heard about Quinnipiac and I was like, okay, let's do a tour. And I obviously scheduled to meet someone at the Learning Commons because My accommodations, my support as a learner was important to me. It really had a lot to offer for me. And I think the feeling that I knew I was going to be supported as a student who is dyslexic and have that constant support, which I tell everyone, if you need help studying, if you need extra support, tutoring, academic specialists. If you need accommodations, reach out to the Learning Commons because honestly, I've never felt most supported, and I can say that the Learning Commons has really been there by giving me all the resources I needed to succeed in my classes. To know that I will graduate next year with a bachelor's and a master's degree, so, and I felt it because being so far away from home, being a third culture kid from more than three countries and Being so globally, culturally invested in the world, it was the university that felt most close to home. And I felt safe. And being away from my family, it really stuck. And I remember turning to my mom after we left and I said, this is it. This is the place. And and I just, I had that feeling and I applied early action. I got in early January and I didn't think twice about it.
0: I remember you were pretty nervous, although you've always, you know, had this fire about you, of course, like I'm going to take over the world. You were still, you know, of course you're an international student. It would be your first time away from your family. You're very close to for such a long period of time, but you've grown so much. You really have. It's been hard to be away from your family. Yeah, it has,
1: it has been difficult. to it's not not an easy thing to do and it's not I don't want to say that anyone can do it because it's it's hard if you're very close to your family it is very hard and I think the only thing I really that got me through was constantly talking to my family constantly being involved and coming home as much as I could during the longer breaks the summer and the winter breaks has kept me going and pushed me through those hard times and, and made me feel successful during those good times. And I've learned to actually make Cat my home too. And I've also honestly become more independent myself. I will always love my family. My family's always going to be there. And I know that it's okay if I don't get to call them. I remember I was very homesick in the beginning, that I, if I couldn't call them every day, just felt like we were just miles and miles apart, which we were, but Quinnipiac also offered counseling services and I managed to talk through what I was feeling. And I came up with strategies and I learned how to get through my feelings and, and, and really be and find who I really wanted to be. And no matter how far we are, we all still love each other so much we're all in different parts of the country. I'm in the United States. My sister's in the United Kingdom. My parents are in Angola, and the rest of my family is in Portugal and in South Africa, so more than four countries. So, of course, we're going to support each other, and that's honestly how I've gotten through the past three years, and I would not change a single bit of my story of the hard times and the good times because it's brought me to who I am today, that fire within me, I'm honestly very proud of it. And I, I didn't have that fire when I came in that first day I met you. I was just so scared and I didn't know what the world was going to throw at me <laughs> all by myself. And I'm very glad that I have this fire within me because it's made me strong and confident. And, I, And I'm looking forward to what comes next in my life. And I know that it's going to be
0: great things. I'm so proud of you and who you're becoming, and you've done some interning. Tell me about that experience, and then also what's next for you?
1: Yeah, so I have been doing some interning. I did some interning last semester for a nonprofit for people who are disabled. So working in that that section is something that I'm passionate about. So I definitely want to be an advocate. Currently, I'm involved with the Ability Media Group at Quinnipiac University, which is also promoting anyone who has a different ability and really showing people that anyone with a physical, mental learning difference and ability can be just as a part of our community as anyone else. And really spreading awareness, which is lacking and talking about incredible stories that people are doing. And I've been able to share my story through Ability Media as well. And then I'm also interning at the Focusing Learning Center, which is actually founded in Minnesota. I feel like I've academically grown as an individual learning a lot about 2E and gifted students and learning different students. That is where I have grown as a person because I didn't know that as a communication major. I didn't know much about that. And that's where the best of both worlds have really come in and engaged. And I've become an advocate through that nonprofit and interning with them has been an incredible experience. I've been able to do a conference and I've shared my story and I've guided a young girl on being scared on telling her friends that she is dyslexic and what does she do? And that was the most incredible day of my life, knowing that someone wanted my advice on how to go forward. That is the best part of what I want to do and taking what I've done this semester with advocating, doing communication work, really involving what I am getting my bachelor's in, but also I want to be an advocate for people with a learning difference. That is my biggest goal. My five-year goal would be to work in a nonprofit that works specifically with learning differences
0: isn't it funny how sometimes our biggest struggles from when we were younger become the fire within us that then powers us. It's a catalyst to us doing great things and your work in this advocacy role and what you will do in the future comes from that. You're still 10-year-old Gabriella. You've had a whole host of experiences and challenges of your own since then, but you're still that little girl. I really look forward to following along as you do continue to grow and as you help others as well, as you've helped me learn about how dyslexia can affect students in academic settings, also socially, you know, it's multi-layered. And like I said, when we started this, you've always told me, I have a story to tell and I'm going to tell it. I know deep down that this is just the beginning for you.
1: I hope so. And I know it is. I want them to hear my personal struggles growing up with teachers not believing in me, me not believing in myself, having my mother as my biggest advocate, having those peers, those academic specialists like yourself, my my teacher from high school, always being in my corner, always, always supporting me. And that's something you've done for the past three years is constantly supporting me. And that's what students need. That's what people need is Having that person in the corner, believing in them. If it wasn't for those incredible people in my life right now or in my past, I wouldn't be here. I have so much that I want to share. And I know that I, it might take me a while, but I will get there and I will share it eventually. And I will get to thousands of people, no matter how long it takes.
0: You absolutely will. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast. Everyone has a story to tell. I'm just so humbled to be in your presence. And I I really enjoy every time we talk. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast.
1: I think right now in my life, if I impact one person in this podcast today, as much as I was nervous of telling my story, it was really about making sure that I impacted at least one person today and spread awareness on my story. And it's not about a big crowd in the future as well. It's individual and it's people to me. And it's really someone with their own story. Whoever is listening, I hope I impacted someone today. And Reese has been my biggest supporter. And this is why I decided to do this since day one. You gave me your business cards and you said, come see me anytime. There was times I would see you when I was just missing my family. Not even for academic reasons. I'm so glad that you're a part of my journey.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm going to go cry my eyes out now. Thank you so much, Gabriela Alvarez. We're looking forward to what you do in the future.
1: Thank you for having me.